Hello, everybody. Welcome to episode 27 of 2, 5, and 10. I'm sorry, Benny, I had to play that intro for a couple of reasons. One is you're coming to Boston. Two is your Rangers lost this week. And I mean, very sweet that it sailed our deal of you coming home with us beating you. So, I mean, I, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to start it like that, but w- welcome, welcome. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously the Rangers weren't going to help me out in any way, shape, or form this season, uh, holding out hope for that one one time, give me a win uh, against the Bees that keep the whole bet alive for me. But you guys clinched it. Your boys clinched it for you. Uh, so I am unfortunately having to not only go to Boston for a Bruins Rangers game, but I will have to line the pockets of Jeremy Jacobs uh, with two tickets for next season. Yeah, and you'll probably have to crash at my place with the two kids, too. So that's like just an all-around. That's a thumbs down for you. But I mean, <laughs> hey, As long as I get to beat up Cam a little bit. Oh, he'll be all for it. I mean, the good news is this. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not a, uh, I'm not an expensive date. We could definitely just hammer balcony seats and then just get completely ripped, and I am A-OK with that. What's that bar across the street? It's like a club on the weekends from the TV Garden. Oh, uh, there's a couple. There's Hurricanes. There's Greatest Bar. There, there's it's like a, two levels. Uh, I think that's Greatest. Okay, yeah. I mean, Hurricanes, I've come out of there legless sometimes. <laughs> like there, There's been a couple of times. I remember one night uh, <laughs> I was I was a little under the weather per um, Mr. Jack Daniels, and we were walking out of the bar. We were trying to walk partially home, and some kid came by, and he asked Redder for a high five. I thought he asked her for a hug, and I lose it. I'm like, you want to hug my wife? I'll beat the fucking shot. Like, oh, dude, I go after. The funniest thing is I got Bobo with me, right? So after this whole thing happens, we all go our separate ways. We now cross. It's like four minutes later, and Bobo, like, also under the weather, hits me with a, hey, man, I totally had your back back there. Like, dude, that was like like 10 minutes ago. I'm fine. I don't need your help. But, I'm surprised uh, you didn't just take off running at the first sign of trouble. Uh, well, there was that, which was pretty funny. And then, I don't know if this was the same night or a different night, but um, Stratford and True Love were still just dating, and uh, a couple of her friends were there that night. And Bobo was like trying to get after it, like they were getting the cab to go downtown. Bobo almost went with them. Like, I, I thought that was going to be the night. Um, we had to corral him a little bit, but he definitely, he was going with him. And I mean, I wish he could hear this to actually like, you know, respond at some point, but it's more better. Just tell the story. We'll have to have Stratford tell his viewpoint of the story. Yeah. I was thinking since we're going up to Boston for our bet that we can go to greatest bar before the game pregame a little bit and maybe have a little meet and greet with some of the local guys or, uh, listeners of the show up there before you and i head into the game that would be great i'm hoping um if anything i'm hoping we'd be able to like coordinate with the nhl to make it like a saturday night or a like a saturday one o'clock game and just like pre-game post-game nap like just planned accordingly (laughs) throughout the way we can go to is middlesex still around (laughs) no no closed (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's how long it's been shit but um well i guess getting into it do you want to discuss the game a little bit i mean our bruins are, i i thought it was a pretty good game your thoughts i know we kind of blew the doors open a little bit towards the end there but at first it was pretty tight 
Yeah, uh, it start off a good game. Uh, we always ha- the Bruins Rangers are always close games. There's never really any blowouts in the series ever since the lockout. Yeah, and like uh, Nigel it, Dawes comes in and scores in a fucking shootout, and you got to wear a top Nigel hat. Nigel Dawes, but, yeah. piece of Gabrick shit. with the game winner against Thomas. Um, but yeah, I mean it was a pretty physical game uh, as you would expect. Uh, the Anderson hit on Bergeron. I was curious on your thoughts on that because. I understand the response from the Bruins in terms of like Bacchus challenging and kind of going after Anderson a little bit later in the game. Bergeron kind of jumping on Anderson after the hit. But I was curious what your thoughts were on the actual, I guess, elbow. Um, It seemed a little weird to me because the way that puck was and the way Anderson came in, I'm thinking Bergeron kind of expected just him to come in kind of just slash at the puck in a sense like not slash Bergeron just kind of poke check out at the puck just to kind of make a move on it and then take a hit and kind of bounce off the boards a little bit and then when that didn't happen he kind of went at the puck and then he spun backwards and I I think Bergeron was okay with the backwards part of the hit I think the elbow came up a little bit that was what kind of got Bergie upset obviously the Bruins I mean I don't think Anderson, that was his complete intention there. Do I think it was elbow and a little high? Yeah. But I'm just happy that the Bruins know that they only go as far as Patrice Bergeron takes them, and they're yeah. all going to have that response. So on that end, I, I'm A-OK with it. I'm sure you guys were a little upset that every time the guy was on the ice, there was someone in his face, Marshan back. It's like the whole nine, he got it the whole rest of the game, and I mean, it kind of woke the Bruins up a little bit because after that happened, I mean, the boys just kind of took off. Yeah. Uh, the thing about Anderson is, I'm not going to lie, he's not a dirty player or even like an agitator like Brendan Lemieux, but he does play the game physical. He goes to the dirty areas. So I feel like he's only 19 or 20 years old. Over the course of his career, he's going to have incidents like that where he's playing the game hard and something pops up and happens. I completely understand Bergeron's response since he has that concussion history. Uh, where he's going to you know, take care of himself and he gets hit up high. My, I guess my two counterpoints is, one, I feel like by turning himself around and like using his back for the hit, I think he was trying to avoid hitting Bergeron after the puck was gone, and his elbow just came up because of how awkward. Like If you look at his feet on replay, he started losing his balance a little bit, so I feel like that's why his elbow came up. No, he uh, was but, strange, like, the way he went in, because it wasn't like you said, like, it wasn't a complete back hit. It was almost kind of like yeah. a spin and spin off of him type thing. Yeah, So and like I said, I, I get Bergeron's response. I think uh, the Bruins basically following him around the rest of the game is a little Bush League because they're doing because he's a rookie, essentially, so they know they can get away with it. I feel like if it was somebody else... If it was like a Tom Wilson, I don't imagine Bacchus chasing him around a rink the rest of the game or anything like that. I think the only bullshit response that I have in terms of how the game got feisty after that is, and this is probably because I'm just protective of like my boys, Char is skating by the Rangers bench and basically telling him that he's going to headshot Zibanejad the next time they're on ice together. And then him and Lemieux got into it because Lemieux yelled back that he's going to run past Knock at the same time. So there's a little beef going back and forth between those two. But Tara, veteran captain, going to the other bench, going, I'm going to run 
your best forward when everybody who's played the game, especially as long as Char, knows that was incidental contact. It was up high, but it was incidental. So to purposely run Zibanejad, who also has a concussion history, I think is bullshit. Well, do you think part of that's because we're where we are in the standards and you guys are where you are, so maybe they're taking it to the sense of, like, you're coming after our best guy, you guys don't have a sniff at it, we're coming after your best guy, it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I can see that point of view coming from Chara. I just think it's kind of, like, horseshit to... Like, if, let's say, Anderson charged and boarded Bergeron into the... Uh, dash your board or something everything's fair game after that point but to take like an accidental elbow Bergeron like dropped the gloves and he basically pounded the kid into a turtle so I feel like that combined with the uh the penalty that Anderson got should have covered everything I don't necessarily think chasing him around the rest of the game and then also threatening Zibanejad was something that a guy like Char should be doing no, I'm with you too because Bergie definitely got a couple of good licks on him. So I, I'm with you. I thought it was kind of, yeah, yeah, I thought it was kind of just mute there. But uh, it's unfortunate that Chara and Lemieux didn't go because I would have loved to see. I didn't realize how thick Lemieux's hair was to one of his fights recently. I was on <laughs> hockey fights and his helmet popped. I'm like, how the hell does he get his helmet on? Like he there's so much fucking hair in there. I listen. I'm already a fan of Lemieux. I was a fan of his while he was on Winnipeg. He wants, I give the kid courage. Like, he has a lot of heart. He wants no business of a piss, actual pissed off to Daniel Char. Like, Char isn't even pissed when he fights usually. It's just because the big guys on the other team challenge him. And he's like, okay, fine, I'll drop him. Char actually being mad and going after you is something I do not want anything to do with. Um, that's unfortunate because I would have loved to see, I mean, his father turtled so much, I would just love to see one Lemieux just catch one. You know, that that's just me. Maybe I'm being a bad person. It is what it is, but fuck it. I feel like I feel like Marshy's more up Lemieux's uh, weight class. I don't know. Lemieux's kind of thick. I, I think we would have to send, like, Kevin Miller after him or something. I, I feel like that's much more of a fair fight than... Uh... Uh, Char for Lemieux there. I think Char is in his own weight class. So, oh, dude, that that would be like, uh, at least a foot and two inches height differential. At least. I remember when Char and Boyle fought. When Boyle was on the Rangers, and everybody's like, "Oh, two big boys." It's like, but Boyle, Boyle does not a fight, and Char just like ragdolled him around, even though Boyle's like six seven, two eighty. Yeah, Boyle reminds me of Hal Gill. Just he yeah. has the big frame, but he can't fight. I was just about to mention Hal Gill because Char, I remember, kept challenging the fights throughout their, his early run in Boston, and uh, Gill wanted nothing to do with him when he was on Pittsburgh. Oh, dude, when I'm pretty sure one time when Z was on Ottawa, he beat the shit out of Gill. So, <laughs> um, I guess there's a couple of uh, quick hits from the Rangers' point of view with that game, some takeaways. One, how was that Lundqvist save early, early in the game? Oh, it's felt, me and Stratford were like screaming, like, "What the fuck!" Like, like, still so old, but it's still so good. Just well, still fine wine, it, right? better with time. Uh, and I also wanted to point out that uh, a couple of weeks ago, when we were talking about uh, Lundqvist and how the players poll for the Athletics said, if you had a game seven, which goalie would you pick? And nobody picked Lundqvist to finish in the top three. Everybody picked Carey Price. Lundqvist has been behind a shit defense for a. T- basically a season and a half now. I know his goals against the average is inflated because of that. But at that recording that we did, him and Price at the same save percentage. 
So kiss my ass when it comes to Lundqvist is washed up and past his prime. <laughs> Anything else? <laughs> um, yeah, so Zibanejad scored his 30th in that game. Uh, new career high for him. It's actually the first Ranger center to score 30 goals or more in a season since Eric Lindros in 2001. So that just goes to show you how core our centers have been in the goal-scoring department for 18 years. You specified center. Has Have any of the wingers gotten 30, or is it still no one's cracked 30? Uh, well, Yager got 54 in 2006. Uh so he's at the Rangers' single-season gold mark with that. Um, Kreider hasn't cracked 30. Gabrick's cracked 30. Nash has cracked 30. But not a lot of guys have done it for the Rangers. We've always struggled offensively since the lockout. Um, I guess the last point, and this is falls in line with goal scoring, how about that trade? Ryan Spooner for Ryan Strom. And Strom has 17, well, now 18 goals as a Ranger since that trade basically flashing that top six potential that he had when he was drafted third overall. Rangers have been giving him plenty of ice time, and he's basically been proving his worth there. Uh, and we got him for a waiver claim, essentially. It's crazy to think, too, that he was on Edmonton along with all that other top-drafted talent, and he wasn't able to perform like the way he is now. Yeah. I mean, he was getting third-line minutes because they wanted a checking guy to play on the third line instead of playing him as a two-way forward, which he's proven to be really strong at with the Rangers. So I think the Rangers, along with Buchnevich, who the last four months has really turned it around after his benching with David Quinn, he cracked 20 goals last night uh, against the Flyers. So Rangers, even though they traded Hayes and Zuccarello, they have Buchnevich and possibly even Ryan Strom filling top six minutes for him next year. You seem pretty excited about next year. I am, I, dude, I am so looking forward to this fucking summer when, you know, have Kachuk as an RFA, uh, you have Panarin as a free agent, Carlson's out there, best friends with Lundqvist. I'm excited. I'm going to get my hopes up like every Knicks fan every other summer when the Rangers pull away with an overpaid third liner that's going to hope flourishes in a new role. But I'm looking forward to next season, especially with the way the Eastern Conference is uh, shaking out. July 1st, baby. Here's to hopes and dreams. My new holiday. Yeah. Um, getting away from our boys, um, kind of an ugly incident this week in the NHL. Paul Byron had a hit on one of the Florida Panthers, and then he goes to answer the bell against Mackenzie Wegar, and he gets completely KO'd and has to get carried off the ice. Yeah, so this happened early in our season. Paul Byron, uh, I'm pretty sure you remember the hit, but... He hit Mackenzie Wegar, who's, who's the defenseman on the Panthers. Wegar just uh, basically whipped the puck around the boards, and he was in his follow-through uh, position when Byron basically shoulder-checked him, but his uh, check hit Wegar's head into the glass, and Wegar suffered a concussion. Byron was suspended three games and fined, I think, $18,000. This was the first game that the Panthers and Canadians were playing since then with both guys on the ice. Wegar went up to him and basically said, do you want to want to fight? And Byron agreed. Uh, there wasn't any jumping or anything. But like you said, Wegar basically KO'd him with a punch. He's suffered a concussion. He uh, hasn't played for the Canadians since then. And there's been a lot of his agent, Paul Byron's agent, basically went off about the code, quote-unquote, of hockey, where a guy like Byron, who's 5'9", 
163, had to fight a defense when it was like 6'4", 240 uh, because of the code of the game, and now he suffered a concussion. Yeah, I mean, two things. Obviously, you don't want to see Byron get hurt like the way he was. Like He was completely rattled, concussed. He might have been out cold for a second. Like He ate some big hands. This is kind of a problem as to where the NHL is going nowadays, where we don't really have those enforcers in the lineup like we used to. So with that, do I think Byron needs to answer the bell? Yeah, sure. But does it have to be against Wegar? No, because like you said, ju- just the size matchup, it doesn't have to be that. But that doesn't mean someone else on Florida can't fight him. So yeah. that that's just one thing for me. Obviously, Wegar wanted this. Like, he was the one who went over, had the conversation, the whole nine. And, I mean, he knows the size differential. He He's not surprised by this. He, yeah. He's just still all rattled by the hit and everything else. With that, I mean, someone on Florida easily could have told Wegar, hey, you're a little too big for the weight class. Don't worry. I can do this. But you can tell he wanted it. So, I don't know where you want to point the finger here. I mean, good for Byron for standing up and doing it. Obviously not the result you want ever. But I think Wegar at the same time kind of has to pull some sort of responsibility. I know in all the postgame interviews, he did the best, you know, best of luck. I, you know, you never want to see that happen. But at the same time, he knows the size differential. He He's not like, look at the lineup card. You, you don't know how big he is. So to me, it's kind of like, this is like sending out Colton Orr against Phil Kessel. Yeah. So, it, it, I don't know. It's just the mismatch. Obviously, Byron's agent's pissed. I don't know if it's a contract year for him, but if it is, it's going to be tough to get and sign July 1st if you haven't played in three weeks at the end of the year. So, I don't know. Just not a good look all around. Yeah, my thing is, so the basic premise of why Byron dropped the gloves and why we are challenging him to it. I completely understand. And I think we both get it. And everybody that's played hockey gets it. We've even talked about it earlier, a few weeks ago with the Boychuk and Voracek hit, where Boychuk and Voracek are probably going to fight in the next Islanders Flyers game to settle that. But those two guys are similar in size. So I get why Byron felt the need to, because he doesn't want to be seen as somebody who potentially cheap shot at a guy, and then when he was asked to answer the bell, said no, and get, kind of getting that reputation among the guys around the league. So I get why he said yes. But like you said, if I'm Uyghur, I don't even... Ch- like, this is where a guy like Derek McKenzie probably would have stepped in for the Panthers, where he's kind of a smaller guy too. Or even Sean Thorne, even though he's a, like a heavyweight in terms of his experiences fighting, is more of a better matchup than a Uyghur guy uh, oh, fighting Byron. No way, dude. Thorne would have killed him. Thornton would have like, killed him. He would have fed him those fucking right hands. I know, but the thing with Thornton is he's he basically has fed guys hands for years, but he's never right before that uppercut. You can tell that Byron was already struggling on his feet, and Wegar still followed up with that big uppercut. I feel like Thornton would have kind of held off a little bit on that one. Yeah, you're you're right on that because the code there's two parts to it. It's yeah, a it's answering the bell. And B, it's knowing when someone's vulnerable and not taking advantage of it. So, yeah, I, I agree with you completely on that. It would have been interesting if Wegar challenged him and then when Byron dropped the gloves, if that would have, should have been enough of a, okay, I can respect this guy from Wegar's point of view. And, yeah, you throw a few punches, but you don't try and, like, pummel him. And then you 
when a fight's over, you just like tap them on the shoulder pads and go to your box and be like, okay, he answered the bell. My thing is, what does it say about the Department of Player Safety uh, stance among players around the league? This was a hit that was clearly reviewed. He was suspended three games, which is sadly one of the longest suspensions of the season for a play on the ice. He was fined. And that's still not enough for a guy like Rigar, who's much bigger than him to feel like that. Byron paid the, paid the bill for it. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting that you say that, too, because coming from the Department of Player Safety with George Paros in charge, who legit, that was his job, was to fight. Yeah, you, you think there would have been a lot more premise on it? Maybe the league kind of lets the refs know, like, hey, it gets out of hand here. You, you got to kind of be a lot closer. Because the other thing is this. You see a lot of fights now. In those linesmen, a helmet pops off, they're in there. Someone yep. looks a little vulnerable, they're in there. Like, what was the problem with this one? Like, like they knew it was probably going to come they at some point, they, and they should have been a lot closer. So sh- shame on them, too. Yeah, there's a lot of, I guess, uh, variables into this whole result that if one thing was uh, acted upon differently, it probably would have changed the outcome for Byron. Uh, but let, I believe Rigar when he said, like, he doesn't like seeing us, and he actually seemed like he felt uh, like contrite after the game with that interview. I just hope this isn't like a lasting thing for Byron because in his mind, he was doing the right thing. He was answering the bell uh, for a hit early in the season, and I would hate to see it result in like lingering concussion issues or uh, lead him down that path because he, as a smaller guy, was still sticking up to a guy who was much bigger than him. Yeah, I'm with you 100% on that. Hopefully he can uh, get back on his feet and not have any post-concussion symptoms or anything like that. All the best up to Paul Byron up north. Going to someone who's probably going to have to answer for a hit this week, Andrew Shaw goes, Andrew Shaw on Adam McQuaid. Just, it, can you explain the play for me? Because it's hard for me to explain it. Like It almost looked like the play was offside, and then Shaw came back around to get back onside and just completely blindsides McQuaid with an elbow. Yeah, so he was offside, delayed offside. The Canadians were coming in on a rush, and he was trying to get over the blue line before the uh, puck came over. And McQuaid was skating backwards because, obviously, he was playing defense against the oncoming rush. And Shaw wasn't just trying to get back over the blue line. He, You can see at the last second, he turned the angle of his skating stride. And as he was about to make contact with McQuaid, who was completely blindsided by this because he's not expecting somebody to be behind him, lifts his elbow, and Shaw's elbow hits McQuaid on the side of the head or the back of the head, almost knocks McQuaid out cold on the ice. And for Shaw to be like, oh, I was just trying to get on side, that's like the Avery with Tim Thomas thing where it's like, oh, I was just skating my sick hit Thomas in the back of the helmet. Like, you know what you're doing. And for Shaw... Especially like a guy like McQuaid, who he's battled with previously uh, through the years on the Blackhawks and uh, when he joined the Canadians. Like, there's a little bit of a history there to not give him the benefit of the doubt with that. And uh, sadly, the part of players said to review it, he's not getting fined or suspended for the hit. Yeah, like watching it, you can see the subtle differences. Like, one of them is this. It's not like he comes through the back of McQuaid where he's looking one way, trying to hustle back. McQuaid skating backwards. They bump into each other. This is a complete elbow to the back of the head. There's nothing else to it. And for me, it's the Department of Player Safety will bring up certain bullshit. 
and find people or suspend people. And when you're kind of like, crap, I don't know, that's that's kind of tough to tell. And then for something as blatant as this, they're like, no, that's fine. Like, I, I just, I don't know where they draw the line in the sand. And that's what kills me sometimes with these guys. I I just don't know. And you, they give you the videos and this and that, but it's like, how come this is different from that one? You know, yeah. and, and to me, that's the hardest part. Like, you watch this shit, and like you said, Andrew Shaw, this isn't a guy who's never been suspended before, never been fined. This is a guy with a fucking reputation. He's done this shit on numerous occasions. And to go and elbow somebody in the back of the head who's had a concussion history on top of it, do you, do you think that's accidental that he elbowed McQuaid and not, you know, one of the other defensemen like Seth Jones? Like, it's deliberate, it's intentional. I don't know why it's not suspendable. Shaw, first of all, Shaw has been suspended and fined four times in his career. Um, and there's been a few other times where people thought he should have been fined or suspended and he wasn't, just like this incident with McQuaid with Slewfoots and things like that throughout his career. So for Byron to get suspended three games and fined for that hit on Wegar earlier in the year, even though he has no prior track record, he's not a dirty player. He has four fights in his career, Paul Byron. But Shaw doesn't get suspended for this hit. Like you mentioned, he had plenty of time because he was deep in the offensive zone on that delayed offside. As he was skating towards that blue line, he saw exactly the name and number on the back of that blue jacket uniform and made that decision because he looked up, and you can see on the replay, he looks and then angles his body and then lifts his elbow. He knew exactly what he was doing. He may not have meant to hit elbow in the head. He might have been just trying to knock him down and then hoping that there wasn't a penalty called for interference because uh, it was a delayed offside and might have helped the offensive rush. I have no idea what was going through his head or what he was trying to get away with, but he knew who he was hitting. And the fact that he wasn't suspended, like you said, what's what's the tiers of suspensions and fines in the NHL? This has been a complaint for several years now where one hit doesn't get fined or suspended and another one with a guy who doesn't have a track record is and vice versa. There's no rhyme or reason. There's like no scale of first offense is five games, second offense is 10 games. It's just, it seems like, it just comes willy-nilly at the moment at the will of whoever's in charge of DPS at the time to go, eh, I don't think that's so bad. And there's no uniform rule applied to what discipline is around the league at this point. And I think that's the worst part. There's no uniform rule. So at some point, if if it's a hit to the head, and I think that's what we need to distinguish. Like, we've always talked about this, like, throughout the year. It's a fast game. Things happen very quickly. You need to make a decision. Are you hitting this guy or are you not? If you do, you might get him in that. Like, everything can be down to milliseconds, and I get that. But for something as deliberate as this, like, I, I just don't get it. I don't. And I, I was, I had a hopeful outlook once I named Power, uh, George Powers in charge because he's a recent player. He was an enforcer. He's even been suspended himself uh, for some incidents in his career. So I felt like he was going to bring a very recent player mentality and understanding of the game itself of that was dirty that's not dirty here's what needs to be done to clean up the game because he is a very educated guy yeah went to Uh, princeton yeah so for him to come in it makes me think that it's not a dps problem department of player safety or whoever's in charge i feel like it's an nhl problem i don't feel at this point it's just the trend is no matter who is in charge the discipline is inconsistent so i wonder if it's like coming from 
like the commissioner's office itself and the DPS and a guy like Taros or Shanahan are just like the spokesperson for why the suspension is or isn't being handed out. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I believe they're just a voice now. Like th- that's all it is. They just do the explanations on the videos and that's it. Because like you said, for someone with Paros who's played and mind you, he's been suspended. He's knocked people out cold. He's been knocked out cold. Like, I don't know. I honestly don't know. I thought when Patty Burke was in charge, he did a 10 times better job. And now with him not there, I feel it's kind of gone downhill a little bit because Patty Burke may not have played in the NHL. He's been around the game his whole life, but there wasn't a bias to certain teams and or players. He was kind of square around the board. And I feel like that's what this is kind of lacking right now. Yeah, I mean, it kind of, unfortunately, started slipping once Shanahan took over. Um, and then once he left, Taros took over. So it's been uh, kind of downhill for a few years now. And for a guy like Shaw, just to kind of wrap up my point on this, he's had concussions, at least two concussions himself recently in his career. And I never get guys who have had suffered head injuries attacking other guys with the head as the principal point of contact. Like, what do you, like, you understand the pain and the issues that follow with head injuries like that, yet you're still targeting. I don't get it. Welcome to the piece of shit league. And some guys are just that. They, like, they'll never learn. They'll never care. They're just there to earn a paycheck. And that's kind of what it's starting to come down to. And you hear some guys talk about it like you think more people would have more respect for the game. But I still think that there are certain people that just don't give a shit. And you could probably put Andrew Shaw on that list. I mean, Rafi Torres was definitely on that list with the hits that he would give out. Oh, yeah. So I just think that there's certain people that no matter what the consequence is, no matter who the player is, they're just dirtbags. And that's all it comes down to. Yeah, it's like the same mold of Rafi Torres, Tom Wilson, Matt Cook, Andrew Shaw. Um, I'm sure there are a couple other guys. I'm just blanking on it right now. Maybe this summer we can do a top 10 shitbag uh, list. Shit, <laughs> shitbag list since the lockout of like the biggest assholes in the league in terms of uh disregard for player safety i like that that, that that'll that definitely be a uh, a good summer hour filler upper um <laughs> going away from shit bags going to my boy down in tampa john cooper signed in a multi-year extension this year my man i mean the dude gets it done i know a lot of people give him shit about he's always had a good team in front of him this that the other thing well, I looked up the uh, 2012 Calder Cup championship team he had. I believe only about four of those guys ended up going on to play in the NHL and, and be significant in the NHL. And to me, it, it, it's kind of impressive because, let's see, he had Corey Conacher who went to play in the NHL, not very good at the NHL. Uh, Tyler Johnson, I would say very good, locked up long-term there. Uh, Andre Palat, still in that organization, very good. And then you look at a couple of the other guys and you're like, uh, Pierre Cedric Labrie, just basically an AHL tough guy. Uh, Richard Panic, mm, not really that good. Uh, there, there's a couple other guys, Michael Lulay, Mike Angelidis, who's just been a full-time AHL guy. But this team went on not only to win the Calder Cup, but they rattled, I believe it was like 28 straight wins at one point. Like, th- this team was phenomenal. I think it speaks for him because 
Not only does he want to run through a brick wall for his guys, but I feel them failing is mutual. Like he can get the boys ready, get the boys ready to play. And he's not like these quote unquote old school coaches. He's not going to fucking get in your face or this is like, I think he's just going to tell you. I remember hearing, I'll, I'll probably have to post the video clip on our thing, but I seen it on YouTube. One of their guys got called up from the AHL. They were at their practice the next day, the NHL boys in Tampa. And what's he say? Cause they got torched on a two on one the night before. Hey, we're going to do this better today because the way we did it last night was not very good. And it cost us a goal. So we're going to show so-and-so how to do it the right way. Boom. That was it. Onto the drill. Not fuck you, Stamkos. You let that fucking guy go by you. You piece of shit. No, just this is the way we do it. And we're going to be a lot better than the way we did it last night. XOXO, signed, sale, delivered. <laughs> yeah, Cooper, uh, he stands out in a couple ways for me. One, like you said, his personality. You never see sound bites from him. You never... He's, he gets hanging around the bench sometimes, but he's never one of those uh, emotional outburst type guys, and he just exudes calmness. And, you know, sometimes for a team as stacked as Tampa Bay is now, it was like the Yankees' uh, last dynasty with Torrey. Yeah, Torrey was a solid, like, in-game tactici- tactician, but they, those superstars and the pressure that was on those Yankee teams needed somebody who was just calm and reassuring that they were going to figure it out, and those guys had trust in Tory. I feel Cooper's in that same type of class where he's cool, calm, collected. He's proven himself. You know, he's worked himself up from the NA, NAHL, the USHL, the AHL, all the way to the NHL. So I think the guys uh, respect that because they see that he paid his, uh, put in his time, paid his dues. Uh, so I think they connect with him on that level. The other thing is, I think it's harder. To sometimes coach a team as talented as Tampa Bay is because of all the egos that are potentially going to pop up throughout the year, upset about ice times or deployments. Uh, you have a guy like McDonough, who was the captain, basically 1A face of the franchise for the Rangers, and he gets traded to Tampa, and now he's playing playing on a second pair behind Hedman. So uh, just being able to introduce him seamlessly to the organization and the culture and fit him in and basically revitalize his career is another example of how Cooper kind of manages that. Um, but yeah, 51 years old. He already has a 301 wins, 157 losses, 44 ties as coach in the NHL. Uh, the Lightning have appeared in three of the previous four Eastern Conference finals. He's, they've played the second most playoff games in the league since 2014. He's a, shockingly the longest tenure coach in the league at this point. Uh, and he's the all-time franchise leader for ones with those 301 in Tampa Bay history. So, well-deserved. Have you heard numbers about how much he's going to get paid now? No, they haven't said that, which I find is interesting because we know certain coaches' numbers. Those have come out, and now I wonder if they put him in that elite category. And like I said, I, you've knocked him for he's he's only had good teams. Let's see how he does with a shitty team, and I agree. But at the same time, like you said, to deal with certain personalities and put them all in a certain way and to be successful, that takes a lot, too. That, that, that's not an easy thing to come by with someone who was a captain of an original six franchise. Hey, by the way, bud, you were uh, the top the top guy there. You were our number one. You're probably like our number four here. But um, here, here's a tap on the ass. 
and uh, we're going to get it going. One other thing, too, is I love how he always defends his players. I'm going to have to find the YouTube clips and put them up later. I don't know if it was the first year Pittsburgh won the Cup or if it was the second year when they played in the Eastern Conference Finals, but um, Ryan Callahan goes into the corner, and he ends up hitting somebody, and the ref gives Callahan the gate for it was either boarding or a hit from behind, and you can hear Cooper. He's mic'd up, and the ref's there, and he goes, there's no president on the D-man there to put himself in a better position. Like, you know, like you can't just go into it forward and then at the last second spin and expect you're not going to get hit it's in an Eastern Conference final. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And the ref's like, no, he can't do that, blah, blah. And Cooper's like, there has to be some sort of precedent. And as a player, that just must, that must just get you so hard that no matter, like he's in your corner and he backs you. And Obviously, if he thought it was a dirty hit, I'm sure it wouldn't have been that conversation. But he knows Callahan's a hard player. He's going to finish his check. And, yeah, he has a point. If the guy kind of puts himself in a vulnerable position, why should my guy be punished for it? Like, you you know what's at stake here. If you win, you go to the Stanley Cup. Figure it out. Yeah. Now, like, the last two points on Cooper for me is, one, it, he's the prime example of a coach. Now, he had head coaching experience outside of the NHL, so he wasn't, like, hired off the sheet. But he was a first-time NHL head coach, took over a team that was pretty successful uh, in the years prior, uh, took over, and prime example of how a first-time head coach just takes off and runs with the opportunity and elevates the team. And there are other rookie head coaches around the NHL, guys like Phil Housley, who was back on the uh, – Hot seat. Uh, you have Bugner in Florida. Even I got like Quinn or some whispers about him in New York about being how long he'll be once the Rangers start turning it around. Cooper just came in there, changed the culture of the organization, got everybody to buy in, no matter if, if they were there before him or joined the team while they're on this current run, and has just run with the opportunity. The second point is Cooper is now in that category of being more important to an organization overall than any one player. Because when you have a guy like Cooper as a head coach, when it comes to free agency or trades or anything like that, he's a huge asset to have to basically market to free agents about why you want to come play in Tampa Bay because you get to play for a guy like Cooper. So I feel like there's always going to be a pipeline of talent coming in Tampa Bay, uh, even after this current run because of his stature around the league with the guys. Yeah, and I'm with you 100% on that. Like, as a free agent, obviously you look at roster and, you know, possibly prospects, people coming up the pipeline, maybe draft picks. But a coach has to be another thing, too. Like, some people are avoiding Toronto because Babcock's a fucking maniac. People are like, Tampa Bay, it's warm, it's sunny, Stamkos, Kucherov, Cooper. Yeah, tax-free. Tax-free, baby. Tax-free. If only flights going down there were cheap. Fuck, we were trying to go in April. We were like, <laughs> this is crazy. What's your guess once it finally comes out on what his annual salary is now with the Lightning? I believe Barry Trotz gets paid $3 million a year, and I believe he'll be getting about the same as Barry Trotz. I think he's in that $3 million a year category. I'm not going to lie. That's criminally underpaid for NHL head coaches compared to other sports. Oh, a- absolutely, a hundred percent. But um, like he should be up around five, six million a year. Cooper and Trotz. 
Oh, I, I agree completely. But like you said, it's just, it's the NHL, it's the sport. It's kind of treated as a secondhand sport compared to the other things. And you know how the money thing goes and the lockouts and all the bullshit. But, I mean, him getting paid $3 million a year, that puts him, uh, that's up there. Babcock, seven. We know Trotz is three or four. I'm assuming Cooper's in that range. Like, Julian's in that range. I just feel like even if people think it's just the roster in front of him, the numbers don't lie. Yeah. So now he's going to get paid for it. Speaking of getting paid, uh, over the summer, Calgary and Carolina completed one of the few blockbuster moves of uh, last offseason uh, with the Doug Hamilton tree going to Carolina, Michael Furlan joining him, and also defense prospect Adam Fox uh, joining the Hurricanes organization. He was a highly touted pros- He is a highly touted prospect, uh, even before his junior season this year at Harvard, where he basically even exploded more offensively uh, with 48 points in 33 games. He is a right-handed shot. He's 21 years old, uh, just turned 21. Everybody assumed that Carolina made that trade because not only Hamilton is a good top pair guy, Furlan's a good role player. But Fox was kind of like the long-term jewel of that trade. Yeah, he made and, that trade. Absolutely. Yeah, and now it's come out that he basically has indicated to Carolina that he is not going to be signing with them uh, at all. And there's two situations that can happen here. One, Carolina can just say, well, we don't have to trade you because you still have your rights through the end of next college year, uh, which, is, which would then lead to him becoming an unrestricted free agent. And they can have that time to try and convince him to, so, uh, to sign or anything like that. Or they can trade him now uh, to a team that he would be okay going to long term. But he apparently him and his agent have indicated that he wants to be signed right now. Because even if he doesn't play an NHL game, that will burn a year of his ELS entry-level contract, which will get him to uh, restricted free agency even a year sooner. So what are your thoughts on his strategy there with Carolina? Well, I was reading up on it a little bit. Um, He said he's going back to Harvard for a senior year. He said, that's official. I'm going back. I understand that. I mean, a Harvard degree holds a lot. And no knock against the NHL, but the way that the lockouts go and all the bullshit, it's great to have a backup plan. So I'm on board with that kid 100% to do that. That's interesting. I didn't hear that it was official that he was going back. Oh, uh, he said it uh, huh. uh, was a, yesterday or the day before. He's officially going back to Harvard for his senior year. So there he's were, going to be an unrestricted free agent then? After August 20th of 2020. Yeah. One other thing he said was, I am rumored, like this was his quote, I am rumored to be going to the Rangers because that's where I grew up. But the biggest thing for me is to get to the NHL the fastest. So with that, I just don't know if he plays his year out and then he signs in Carolina. Because, I mean, if that's his quote-unquote thing to get to the NHL the fastest way, there it is. Because then he can still burn a lev- burn a year off his entry level if he signs and he plays a game next year. So I feel like that's huge. It, it gets him there quicker. I feel like the only thing is also this. We've heard a lot of rumors about the Carolina owner and so on and so forth. But one of the biggest things is payment. If he burns that level, he gets to restrict free agency faster. If he gets there in that two years and then Carolina doesn't want to pay him, 
now you're stuck because, hey, a guy's going to hold out. So it's going to be one of two things. You're either going to trade him, and people know you're up against it. So they're not going to give you top dollar. Like, hey, you know, I'll give you this, this. But, you know, there's no guarantees. Or the other thing is you're going to have to pay him. So they're going to have to rock, paper, scissor, flip a coin, and figure out exactly what their game plan is. Because if he ends up signing and then they get to that point in two years and they don't want to pay him, they have to figure out exactly what their game plan is. Because why would you make that trade knowing this kid was the one who made that trade? So with that, you knew he was coming up through the pipeline at some point. You're going to have to pay him. Have to. I know Carolina is not a hockey hotbed, but if you're trying to build a team and build a franchise, a right shot, right defenseman, that that's kind of where you start. Yeah, I'd, I'd say that's a pretty good starting point. Yeah, I mean, it just sounds like he doesn't want to play in Carolina, which he has that right under the CBA with the mechanisms that are in place. But this is why Calgary traded him in the first place. They wouldn't have traded him because he was such a good prospect for no reason. And they were given the impression by Fox and his quote-unquote management team that he wasn't going to sign in Carolina long-term. So then they shipped him to Carolina in that Dougie Hamilton trade. If Fox decides, so he's going back for his senior year, if he doesn't sign with Carolina, uh, he'll become an unrestricted free agent next summer, like you said, uh, 2020. If he's looking for the fastest way to the league, I mean, he's from Long Island. You got either the Islanders or the Rangers, because at this point next summer, the Rangers' right side of defense at this point has Anthony D'Angelo, Kevin Shattenkirk, and Neil Pionk. Neil Pionk is a depth guy. D'Angelo is a solid top four or five guy. Shattenkirk might not even be on a team by then. So you're instantly into the lineup. And... I don't think any scout or GM is touting this guy as like a franchise number one defenseman uh, just because of his uh, lack of size. But he's definitely a top four gifted offensive player that can help anybody's team. I just don't see where else he would go if he wants to go local, essentially, with the Rangers Islanders. Carolina kind of has a little bit of a logjam on the right side, I, I guess. But, yeah, this is going to be interesting just because if you're the Rangers— I just wait to unrestrict your free agents. Like, what the fuck am I going to be trading anything of value to you guys? Well, it's that. The other thing is this, too. Now you monitor how Harvard is next year. Because if they don't make the tournament, that kid has to make a decision at the end of March. Are yeah. you signing or not? And that's when it happens, right there. That That's exactly where it happens. It, you're in March. You're not even in April. So... Are you signing or not? It would be middle of March. you, you got to make a decision. So he has to know or have a really good idea now. Because Harvard, they made the tournament this year, but they lost in the first game. The, the, the kid's going to have to figure it out. There's no question he's going to have to figure it out. Yeah, and it's just one thing I wanted to point out, I guess logistically for everybody listening. So if anybody's confused about how uh, Carolina would have been able to trade Adam Fox. If let's, So they could have went to Adam Fox and said, listen, I know you don't want to sign with us long term. Would you want? Would you be willing to sign a deal and then we trade you to the Rangers, let's say? And if he said yes, he could sign a deal today it, on April 1st and still be traded to the Rangers 
today on April 1st, even though the trade deadline had already passed. So even though the trade deadline has passed, trades can still happen afterwards. It's just that players involved are not playoff eligible, which is why they pretty much never happen. But for a team like the Rangers, that doesn't matter for one, the playoffs, and two, they're basically trading for them for next season. So that's why you can still get traded now, even though the quote-unquote deadline has already passed. Yeah, and I mean, they could sign him, trade him, and then he could play in Hartford, and that would not burn a year off his entry level. Actually, according to what I read, him just signing his deal burns a year. So just signing the deal and not playing burns a year? Just, just Yeah, so if he signed right now with Carolina and was traded to the Rangers, it burns a year. Oh, I, Even I, I, thought he had, I thought he had a play for it to burn a year. Nope. That's only for prospects that were drafted by you. Oh, uh, and the interesting thing with that is, let's say he had decided not to go back for his senior year and he signed a deal which burned his entry level, he would have he would have to be protected in the upcoming expansion draft. Well, yeah, because he's under the, the year's limit, so he'd have to be yeah. protected, yeah, because he's on his entry level. So now that he's gone back for his senior year, that actually helps out whatever team ends up with him because he won't have to be protected for the Seattle draft. Yeah, that, that's a good point, too. I wonder if that's the way his agent looked at it and said, hey, you can make it protected and then your stock goes that much higher because people can't grab you. So that that's an interesting point. Uh, another contract extension. This one caught me completely off guard in terms of length of the contract and how much he was paid. But Arizona Coyotes center Nick Schmaltz, who's actually out for the rest of the season uh, with an injury, signs a seven-year extension worth $5.85 million a year. And just to put that in perspective, they had just traded for him this past winter from the Chicago Blackhawks, where they traded Brandon Perlini uh, to Chicago. He has eight goals and 27 points in 43 games, and he gets $5.85 million a year for the next seven years. I mean, at, at half a point a game, like currently... <laughs> Knowing that you can make six million dollars or just about six million dollars, that's crazy. And I know he's hurt right now, and they shut him down for the rest of the year. Obviously, he must mean a lot more to them. Like he must be behind the scenes a lot more in depth in the room and things like that. But I'm with you, man. Like his production has not really blown me away or anybody else. I'd say, and for that money and that length of term, like. That's a little steep for me. It's a little steep. Maybe Chayka sees something there. Maybe Tockett sees something there. But for me, I mean, I'll be honest, I don't watch enough of Arizona to know. But just off the numbers and things like that, I don't think he's worth that much. No, he's a solid guy. And I'm not saying I'm a Coyotes expert here, but I get to see him a little bit since they're playing the division with the Sharks. He's a solid. He's a solid center when he's healthy. I mean, I'm assuming a block. Uh, the Coyotes are banking on him uh, returning to health next season and kind of picking up where he left off in his last full year with Chicago, where he had 21 goals in 78 games. But to put that in perspective, that's like signing Pavel Buchnevich to a seven-year deal worth 5.85 million dollars a year after having one solid year in his uh, career currently. And that's ridiculous to me. Like, if Puchinavich came to the Rangers, like, I want 5.85, like, all right, see you, you traded. So I'm, I'm not quite getting the long run here. I guess they're banking on Smoltz, who is a former 20th overall pick uh, in the 2014 draft. 
to kind of take off in a new situation in Arizona uh, with more ice time and stuff. But I just don't get it. And this once this trade was uh, this contract was announced, there was a lot of basically complaints on hockey Twitter from agents and former players saying, you know, this is going to deals like this is what's going to fuck up the next labor agreement. Oh yeah, and, and that's a hundred percent. Like, th- there's been deals like the Silverberg deal. We we didn't think you oh, should yeah. got to pay that much. So like. Obviously, what does it matter what we think? I get that. But 100%, like, these new labor deals, and I get the caps going up and people want to take advantage of, you know, get as much as you can. But some of the stuff's like, come on, like, Jesus Christ, I I don't think he's worth that much. I don't, and maybe he can shove it up my ass in the future, and that's fine. I just, I don't think he's worth that much money. That's just me. And if I'm a GM, I'm pissed because now any restricted free agent who has basically one 20-goal season in his career is going to say, well, the market value is 5.85 for seven years now. So there it is. So it, that really throws off the market. Yeah, and the other thing with the market is I know how it fluctuates year to year and every deal kind of dictates that year or that season. But that's going to be huge going into the summer where the cap goes up. Yeah, and just kind of switching up the subject a little bit here. Um, some, I guess some disappointing news coming out of Canada with uh, the Canadian Women's Hockey League. Uh, they basically folded, op- ceased operations immediately uh, for this season moving forward. The league is no more. Uh I know there were rumors in the past of the NHL trying to create and back one uh, professional women's hockey league and with the CWHL in Canada and then the NWHL, mostly in the U.S., uh, as competing operations. The NHL didn't want to decide and pick one. Uh, So I'm curious if – I know this is a financial decision to cease operations, but I'm curious if this was a way to uh, basically create one stronger – professional women's hockey league that has both Canadian franchises and American franchises, uh, mostly in the Northeast uh, and Chicago. But yeah, they, the numbers aren't good. Uh, event sales and ticket sales accounted for only 23% of the revenue in 2016-17 for CWHL and merchandise only made up 2% of league revenue that year. So there wasn't a lot of money in that operation, so they ceased funding, uh, ceased operations, and now everybody's kind of waiting to see what happens with the NWHL and if the NHL decides to start backing those uh, franchises. Well, it's unfortunate, too, because, like you said, there's been nothing about a merge. And another thing is there was good players playing in those teams up north. Hillary Knight, Carolyn Prevost, like, there was players up there that are on their national teams canadian and american so now through that i mean is there like a free agent thing where these girls can now come to the nwhl are they still under con like i just don't know what happens next and i'm with you i mean the usa girls fought so hard for their last deal to be compensated correctly to get proper training like the whole nine for that last olympics and it ended off paying off and I'm extremely happy for them, and I think that's something that they should definitely, you know, strive and be happy that they did. But at the same time, it's like, what's next? I don't know. Yeah, and 
in reading some of the art, uh, articles after the announcement was made, uh, the NWHL was already looking at adding one or two Canadian teams for next season. Uh, and they were looking at Montreal, uh, the Toronto area, because most of their teams are in the Northeast, the NWHL. So this news might open up the door for the players, kind of like what happened to WHL and the NHL back in like the 70s, where the NHL absorbed uh, just a few teams from that league, and everybody else was kind of a free agent to go wherever they wanted. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see with that. The other thing is, this all came about in an indirect way because both leagues started paying uh, their players stipends, which obviously isn't as much as what the guys are making in NHL, but that added uh, expense kind of put a strain on their operations. So it's going to be interesting to see now that there's only one women's professional league, if the NHL now starts putting their support behind that, like the NBA does in WNBA and see, we see what happens in terms of pay structure uh, the number of franchises in the league, and uh, what happens with uh, the players from the CWHL. I wonder, too, I'm, I'm not too sure how their uh, bargaining agreement went, but I wonder if in the future to kind of save on costs, if they kind of do what the ECHL does and they provide housing for the players. So whoever yeah. the owners are may have some real estate downtown there where they're able to house the players, and that takes a little bit of the burden off. But I'm not too sure. Like, I I just don't know where they go from here. And it was great to see, you know how when the Olympics came around and it was almost like that pre-tournament was where their warm-up happened? These girls were coming in 100% now. Like, they they were flying around. They've already had their warm-ups. They were buzzing. So now it's just different to see it on the other end as to if some of these girls aren't playing, are they coming in rusty? Do they make the teams? It It's a serious question. Yeah, and I hope, because there's a franchise in the NWHL in Boston, uh, and I went and saw one of their games, and it was actually really good hockey, which that's not meant to come off. It's like condescending as me being surprised that it was good hockey, but uh, there's a good product that if they're able to get some more financial backing uh, and more infrastructure in place in terms of marketing uh, to their regions and their specific cities, I think that they'll never be close to like the four major professional men's sports, but they have the ability to be somewhat successful as their own uh, league with some financial backing. Agreed completely. Um, getting away from that, probably one of our last things of the week, the playoff format, what do you think, Benny? Does it have to change just because we can agree that, I mean, Tampa's the best team in the East, the Bruins are right behind them, Tampa, I mean, I'm sorry, Toronto and Washington are right behind them, but after the first round, Boston or Toronto is going to be gone. So do you think it should kind of go back to the old format of just one through eight through the Eastern Conference and wherever it goes, it goes, and th- that needs to be one of those things of, yes, like this needs to happen for the league to be better? Yeah, we kind of touched on this here and there uh, throughout the season. This was kind of spurred on brought on by uh, Cam Neely's comments about the playoff format. And there's been a few proposals thrown out, either from like uh, hockey writers or fans themselves, about how they would like to see the playoffs restructured. Uh, the players acknowledge that they understand why the NHL organized the playoff format the way it is now to kind of develop rivalries, but they're not huge fans of it. 
Uh, I know one proposal was just taking the 16 best teams, regardless of the conference, and letting them play it out, and not having like a Western Eastern Conference champion to play for the Cup, which, like you pointed out, would be potentially horrible for travel in from series to series. Uh, there are others who want to go back to the format that we kind of grew up on, where it's just one through eight in the East and one through eight in the West, regardless of uh, division. I don't think the NHL is going to change their two eight-team division, uh, division formats in each conference. So I could kind of see it just being, in my view, I think it would be fun to have the Atlantic Division playoffs, one through four, two versus three, and then a winner of that plays the winner of the Metropolitan Tournament, and then those, the winner of that goes to the Stanley Cup, and same for like the Western Conference. Yeah, that that would be a different way to do it because because I'm with you because there's the crossover if you're wild card one or two, it, it, it's just the whole bullshit. But it, it's one of those things where right now it currently doesn't work on that end, just because it's Columbus and Carolina in that wild card one and two spot. So if we needed that fourth team for the Atlantic, it would have to be Montreal, who's currently out of a playoff spot. So so it's like. I just don't know which way they do go or which way they don't go. And that's the only thing that kind of drives me crazy. And it sucks. It's the top three teams from each division. And then whoever gets the wild card spot, you can cross over. You can fucking bend over and wipe your ass the other way. <laughs> like, I just think it should be the top eight teams, period. And not the way they used to do it with the three divisions. And then the three division leaders are at the top because that always, that third division always sucked. And it would always be like Washington or Carolina who has home ice advantage and they only had fucking 72 points for the year, which was bullshit. And Atlanta that one year and then the Rangers swept them in the first round. Yeah, like it, to me it's just a joke. Like I think it'd just be one through eight and that's it. Each division. And I, I know they aligned it a certain way and everything else. But there's better teams who are getting hosed than, our, than you know some who aren't. So th that's just my only opinion on it. Yeah, uh, so my thing for that is that kind of takes away the incentive for a team to win a division if they're not going to be the best team in their conference. So, like, there's going to be teams, like, let's say Washington, that's going to be like, okay, so we won our division, but we get no benefit of it because, let's say, Boston finishes with more points than us, and now we start the first round on a road even though we won our division. Uh, so what would you do with that? be better <laughs> no and i mean it's like not to sugarcoat it but it's like hey you want home ice get more points than the other teams don't wait till the end and say oh well we won the division but yeah well how come if you won your division at 102 points but they had 108 like why are you mad about it for now like, i will say the nba does that where the number one team in the western conference and eastern conference get the number one seed but then two through eight is just organized by win total, regardless of division. Or if they, it, like, the Miami Heat can win their division this year, but finish at the eight seed in the Eastern Conference. And, and this is the only thing I, I don't really care about that, just because <laughs> no, because the NBA it's best it's basically it's a player league, it's not a team league. Because yeah. here you have a one verse eight, and eight can win. You have a one verse eight in the NBA, the eight team never wins. Yeah. my And like you said, just to highlight it, this year especially is a pretty damn good example of this. 
excluding any upsets that might happen, the second round of the playoffs is going to be Tampa Bay versus Boston, Washington versus Pittsburgh, Nashville versus Winnipeg, Calgary versus San Jose. And those are four teams that are going to get knocked out that are four of the best teams in the league, but they're going to get knocked out because of the way the playoff format is. And I would love to have seen a natural Winnipeg conference final or Calgary-San Jose conference final or Tampa Bay-Boston conference final and not just a second-round matchup. Yeah, and the other thing is this. You always want the best teams to go as far as they can go. And I think if you ask anybody who watches hockey, they could probably agree that Nashville-Winnipeg last year in the second round was the Western Conference Final. And I know Vegas ended up winning and all that, but everybody was watching that game because it was two powerhouses going at it. Like, that was it. And I know it's the division and shit can get nasty and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, you want things to get nasty, have them play each other more each year. It it shouldn't have to wait till the end. But I also don't want to go back to the way it was when we were in college when I played the Montreal Canadiens fucking 16 times and I never played any other team. So like, oh, yeah, that's that, brutal. Yeah, like the division, they they used to do it. Like I at least like it now where you at least play everybody once at home and once on the road at least once, and then you kind of mix everything else in. I'm A-OK with that. But the way they used to do it was ridiculous. It was like there was no rivalry because you played somebody so many times. You're like, I don't really care that we're playing Montreal again. I don't care we're playing Toronto again. Yeah, I mean... As a team that is not competitive this year, I will say the downside of playing everybody once is like a cold winter night in New York in December or January where the Rangers are out of playoff contention and they're hosting like the Arizona Coyotes and the arena is dead because of the matchup or whatever like that. So that's a, it's a it's a very, very minor drawback to the system. But yeah, for teams that suck, it's like brutal. Um yeah, so I guess before we go to your shootout, I just wanted to pop this over really quick. This wasn't on the agenda. Alex Ovechkin scored 50 goals in the season again uh, in last night's game. He actually scored his 51st as well. Uh, he's up to 640-something goals for his career, so he's like 200-something goals away from Gretzky's all-time record. Uh, he's one of the five oldest players to score 50 goals in the season. Uh to score 50 or more in a season. And it's also, this, I think it's ninth 50-goal season. So congrats to Ovechkin on that. Um, and lastly, just this just came across NHL.com. Victor Hedman is day-to-day with an injury, and they're not sure if he's going to be ready for game one of the first round of the playoffs. Interesting. That could definitely be a, a huge blow to that team. Yeah. Well, at least he got McDonough and... Sergachev. <laughs> well, yeah, there's backup, but I mean, you're, when your best defenseman goes down, regardless, it's always ugly. Yeah. All right. So shootout this week. Uh, I am forfeiting my round because outside of me complaining about pedestrians and crosswalks in San Francisco again, I'm pretty uh, set for this week. All right. Well, mine this week goes to American International College in Springfield, S- Sierra's alma mater. They go into the tournament this year. The Number 16 seed, so 16 out of 16 teams that got into a spot in the tournament, going in it to play, they get the number one overall seed in St. Cloud State, and they beat them. And the only thing for me, it shows as to how biased some of these networks are, because this is the equivalent of a 16 seed in March Madness beating a number one seed. And there was nothing. There there, there was minimal, minimal polling, minimal contact. Like, it just kind of upset me that 
it treats hockey as a secondhand sport. Hats off to American International coming in, beating them, flying cross country from Springfield, Mass to Fargo, North Dakota to go and play a game and to be able to go in there and win. And I'm thrilled, uh, very happy. Coach Eric Lang there, he, he puts his heart and soul to it. He's an alumni, came over from Army. He was an assistant coach there for years, finally gets a head coaching job, does phenomenal. Hats off to him. Hopefully this summer we can get an interview with him and put it on the pod. Uh, just want to give credit where credit's due. That, that That's all it is more than anything. So hats off to American International. Yeah, good work, boys. Um, so we're moving into it now. I know Bach of the Week is over, and Kevin won the season series in that one. So last week of the year, playoffs are right around the corner. So uh, we can go with our Game of the Week picks. Uh now, let's do two this week since we don't have locks of the week. Let's do two game of the week. All right. You, you fire it up first. I'm waiting on you, pal. All right. So I'm going to start. My first game of the week is this coming Saturday, the last day of the regular season. I'm going to go Islanders on a road against the Washington Capitals. Potential uh, game to determine the Metropolitan Division Championship. Uh, I know Pittsburgh's still involved there as well, but that's a big game head-to-head uh, this week. And my second game of the week pick just because it's uh, the last Rangers game of the season, I'm going to go Rangers on the road against Pittsburgh. Hopefully they can play spoiler uh, against Crosby and Malkin and prevent them from winning another uh, division, division crown. I like that. Uh, both are mine are Thursday. I, I feel like just with certain teams in the hunt, other teams being kind of powerhouses, I feel like it can kind of send a message. Uh, Winnipeg at Colorado. Colorado needs these wins to stay in that spot. And Winnipeg's a powerhouse, so put your money where your mouth is. Game on, big boy. And then another one is Arizona at Vegas that same night. They, they need the wins, too, to stay where they are. Well, to jump into where they are. So, um, yeah, definitely interested to see where that could go. Uh, before I get into today in NHL history, I actually wanted to get your thoughts really quick. Uh, the divisions are pretty much wrapped up at this point outside of the Metropolitan Division between the Capitals, Islanders, and Penguins. Tampa Bay is the Atlantic Division champion. Uh, Winnipeg and Nashville are tied. Winnipeg has a game in hand. Calgary basically clinched the Pacific after the Sharks have gone on a 2-7-1 slide and then lost to Calgary head-to-head last night in San Jose, so that pretty much sealed the deal there. Uh, the playoff teams on a bubble. Who do you got for the wild card in the West heading into the last week of the regular season? Uh, it's down to pretty much Dallas, Colorado, and Arizona in the Western Conference. I know I don't like to do it. I think Colorado is very top-heavy with that first line. They've been on a 7-2-1 and one streak. I'm just going to go, like, I think they're going to make it, but I'm just going to say it to cause waves. I think Arizona bumps Colorado from that wild-card two spot. Nice. I'm kind of rooting for Arizona just because Ronta and Stefan are on the Coyotes, and it's always nice to see them. Even though Stefan grew it out a ridiculous beard, and they in the desert this year to see make them make see them make the playoffs. Um, staying in the Western Conference, you know Pacific is set. Calgary, San Jose, Vegas are the top three. Central Division, you have Winnipeg, Nashville tied at ninety four points. You have St. Louis right behind them at ninety two points. Winnipeg has been struggling lately. They lost three in a row, five and five in the last ten. Allowed Nashville and St. Louis to catch back up. 
I am going to go out on a limb here and say St. Louis ends up winning the Central Division because Winnipeg and Nashville have a pretty tough schedule to end this week, and St. Louis is playing bottom feeders. Interesting. And we said from the beginning of the year they had a chance of winning, and here it is. Wow. All right. Which could, which could make it a first-round matchup between Winnipeg and Nashville and not even a second-round matchup. Here we go, boys. Put Strap on those helmets. Let's go. Uh, in Eastern Conference, things are pretty much settled, but uh, Columbus at 94 points, Carolina at 93 points, and Montreal at 92. Who do you got two out of those three? I'm saying it as a hope. I hope Carolina can stay in it. I, I hope they get in the playoffs after their celebrations and the everything. They were a big bunch of jerks. Like <laughs> I, I just feel like this is perfect, and this is their chance to just jump in there. Yeah, I'm hoping for Columbus and Carolina uh, just because I've been on a Columbus bandwagon most of the season. It'd be nice to see Carolina. You know, their fan support has picked up again as they've stayed in contention the longer the season has gone on. Uh, so I hope to see those two make the play. And when it comes to the uh, Metropolitan Division, I kind of mentioned that earlier. Yeah, three teams, Washington at 102 points, uh, Islanders at 99, Pittsburgh at 97. Kind of a long shot for Pittsburgh to potentially win a division there. Uh, but who do you think is going to win that uh, division race? I think Washington has it locked up. I thought the Islanders were there for a little bit. I, I just don't see them catching them. Um, that should be an interesting, though, first-round matchup, the Islanders and the Penguins, huh? Uh, yeah, I'm hoping Pittsburgh uh, gets home ice because that means – two less games that we have to deal with, which fucking arena the Islanders are hosting a playoff game at. <laughs> Rock, paper, scissors. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's going to be interesting. I'm excited. Last week of the regular season, uh, next week's podcast is basically going to be setting everybody up for the first-round matchups and our first-round uh, predictions and kind of reviewing uh, anything that happened in the past week uh, that's impactful for the playoff uh, positioning. But other than that, I think we're ready for a Today Initial History. What do you got? Me? No, you. Oh, okay. I guess I'll do it again. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to go all the way back to 1919. And if this isn't a 1919 sentence, I don't know what is. But the fifth and deciding game of the Stanley Cup final between the Montreal Canadiens and Seattle Metropolitans is canceled because of the influenza epidemic. It's still the only time that the Cup is not awarded once the final has begun. Uh, so influenza outbreak in 1919. All right. Um, moving on to 1976, the not as famous, but uh, prolific goal scorer Reggie Leach of the Philadelphia Flyers becomes the second player in NHL history to score 60 goals in a season by scoring twice in an 11-2 win against the Washington Capitals at the Spectrum. Uh, in 1989, the New York Rangers filed, fired coach Michelle Bergeron with two games remaining in the regular season. Uh, GM Phil Esposito took over. The Rangers lost those two games before being swept by the Penguins in the Patrick Division semifinals. Esposito is fired in the offseason and is replaced by Neil Smith. And everything everybody knows what happened since then. Uh, and lastly, in 2004, the Boston Bruins become the first team in NHL history to play 30 overtime games in one regular season. Overtime game number 30 is a 3-3 tie against the Washington Capitals at TD Garden. And I mean, 30, that, that's a lot of games. 
Almost half of your season it goes to overtime. That's a lot of fucking games. Who who is on the team in 04? Because that seems like just a really mediocre roster. Was that uh was that the year we traded Thornton? So if so, that was like Marco Sturm, Glenn Murray. Yeah, that's some old timers on that team. Yeah, I'm gonna look it up. I remember, wasn't Jason Allison on your team roster at one point. He was on the roster. I don't know if it was that year. Uh so probably PJ Axelson. Yeah, that's that, that that was before we had the surge of Savard and Chara. Yeah, that's right in that lull, right before. All right, I just pulled it up. 2003-2004 Boston Bruins. PJ Axelson, uh, Patrice Bergeron, Nick Boynton, Ted Donato, Hal Gill, Sergey Gonchar, Travis Green, Michael Groshek, Andy Hilbert, Jeff Gilson, Mike Knubel, Mark LaPointe, let's see, Sandy McCarthy, Dan McGillis, Glenn Murray, Nylander, Sean O'Donnell, Colton Orr, Felix Bodvan, and Andrew Raycroft in goal with Brian Ralston, Sergey Samsonov, Martin Samuelson, Yuri Slager, and PJ Stock, and Thornton. That was his last full year on the team. Felix the Cat Potvan. What a name drop. <laughs> but all right, shout outs this week. Who do you got? Uh, shout outs this week, as always. We, we always know where this is going. Big red, apple of my eye. Um, big shout out to. Uh, harpoon this week the the ufo whites were killing it definitely crushed a couple of those um yeah no it's been quiet on my end oh um i don't know if this is a shout out or a scream at but if lorenza you drive by me again and you give me the double bird salute while i'm patching potholes in town i am taking a shovel full of asphalt and throwing it on the side of your car so just a heads up (laughs) um who you got it's just fans showing appreciation, you know? <laughs> they uh, must shout- have known I was like, hey, you host that podcast, right? You suck, you jackass. <laughs> um, Shout-outs this week, like you said. Uh, first and always shout-out is to the First Lady. Uh, thanks for all the support for the podcast, and also keep kicking ass in what uh, you're doing in fashion. Uh, second shout-out I'm going to give to – so the First Lady – and I and a couple of our friends here in San Francisco went to this uh, music slash performance event this past Saturday night. I went to the performance halls here in the city, and it was a white party. And before anybody tries to roast me on Twitter, no, it was not a white person-only party. It was you just had to wear all white. Um, so we, we went to that event. The first lady got dressed up uh, really well. I all glittery and silver and white. Uh, but after we left this party around three in the morning, we were in an Uber with uh, those friends and also like some of their friends that we met while we we're at the event. Uh, people that I've met maybe once or twice since I've moved out here. And while we were talking, hockey came up and when they found, I was like, Oh yeah, I do a hockey podcast. And one of the guys asked like, what's the name of the podcast? It said two, five and 10. And it's like, oh, shit, you do 2, 5, and 10? I, I listen to that. So just giving a shout-out to that guy, who I forget his name already. Uh, keep on listening if you're listening to this now, and uh, hopefully had a good time at the party. That's all that matters. Oh, also, I forgot. One shout-out to uh, UMass making its first trip out to the Frozen Four. Uh, me and Stratford, if they win the first game against Denver on Thursday, we may be taking a trip up north. We'll see what happens. Um... Yeah. Oh yeah, shout out to Bobo. Go fuck yourself. As always, Bobo, there's the shout out. Um as for us, yeah, next week's definitely just gonna be 
covering the first round matchups, seeing who we think goes through into the next round. I think Ben already touched on all that. As for us, I mean, ice needs whiskey. Boots need knocking. You know, the ears need two, five, and ten, baby. We'll catch y'all next week. Weeks need a weekend. Cheap drinks need a sling in. That dance floor needs some me on you. And you want me tonight. Sing alongs need to be sung. Tip bells need to be rung. Last calls need a call. That cabin back seats need. I want you so bad. Yeah, birds need bees and I need whiskey. Boys like me need girls like you to kiss me. Fishing in the dark needs nitty gritty. Under that pale moon, sweet tea needs that sugar stirring. Small town nights need both ends burning. Shades need drawing. Hearts need falling. Boots need knocking. Knocking boots.